Amen. Thank you. You can have a seat. And turn with me now to Matthew chapter 9. If you brought your Bible or if you access your Bible on your smartphone or tablet, now's the time, whether you're here in the building or joining us live stream, Matthew chapter 9. I bring you greetings on behalf of the other 2,675 churches of the Southern Baptist of Texas Convention across the Lone Star State. You are family with them. It's wonderful for you to know and grab a hold of this truth that you here at First Irving are not alone. You are in this war together with thousands of other churches in Texas and across the United States who are on the front lines of gospel advance to make King Jesus known. Thank you for being a faithful partner in cooperative program giving. I know that sounded like this speech that I'm supposed to give you before I preach, and it kind of is, but, um, but let me explain it to you this way. I love saying it this way. It makes it so personal. Because you at uh, First Irving are so faithful and sacrificial in cooperative program giving, wrap your head around this. You, the, the church who are filling the seats and joining us online right now at First Irving, you are fully funding the salaries of 3,700 missionaries all over the globe every year. You are scholarshipping 20,000 seminary students in six different Southern Baptist seminaries across the United States who are the leaders of the church today and tomorrow. You are planting hundreds of churches all across Texas and North America. You are equipping and encouraging and resourcing small church and bivocational and multivocational pastors. You're coming to the assistance and the aid of hundreds of churches and their communities who are devastated by catastrophic events and disaster relief. You're doing all of this and so much more because you are a faithful and sacrificial partner in cooperative program giving. So thank you. Thank you for being a church that doesn't just believe in Great Commission Advanced, but is invested in Great Commission Advance. Thank you. I, uh, I've gotten to know your pastor, Jared, uh, over the past year or so, and I'm telling you what, you are a lucky church to call this guy your pastor. He is pretty amazing. And then I spent uh, last September, I guess it was, I spent, I don't know, an hour or two with uh, the rest of your staff, and I've got to tell you, they're rock stars. Like, you guys have an amazing staff at Irving's First, and I hope you know that, and I hope you thank God for them. Uh, you really are a blessed church to call this staff your lead team in Gospel Advance in Irving, Texas, and around the world. So I'm honored to fill the pulpit this morning and to kind of continue the series through Matthew chapter 9, and that's where we find ourselves this morning, Matthew 9, verses 9 through 13. All right, if you found it, will you stand with me now? If you don't mind, if you're able to honor the reading of God's word, let's read through the text, give it the full reading it deserves, Matthew chapter 9, verses 9 through 13. The word of God says this, and Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the toll booth, and he said to him, follow me, and he got up and followed him. While he was reclining at the table in the house, many tax collectors and sinners came to eat with Jesus and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Verse 12, now when he heard this, he, that's Jesus, said, it's not those who are well who need a doctor, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I didn't come to call the righteous, but sinners. Pray with me. God, we come to this moment with great humility, knowing and believing that this is your word. God, you breathed it out thousands of years ago. 
and you have protected and preserved it so that we can gather in your presence and the fellowship of this church right now and not hear a word from Tony Wolf. God, we are here to meet with you and to hear from you. God, like deer panting for water, our souls are thirsty for this, to hear from you through your word. So invite your Holy Spirit's manifest presence into this place right now, God, that you might be so pleased to meet with us, to take the pages of this text, your living, eternal, infallible word, and that you would apply it to the pages of our lives. Give us faith now to believe in Jesus' name. Amen. You have a seat. Thank you. And I love God's word. Do you love God's word? I, I love how it's, you know, we use those words, inspired, inerrant, infallible. It's authoritative. It's all sufficient for your life. I love how it's so beautifully written and technically preserved so that we can come to this moment right now with full confidence that we're actually going to hear God speak to us this morning. And that's the attitude I bring to Matthew chapter 9, and I hope you do as well, because when you come with this attitude, you realize that sometimes... Sometimes, through the pages of Scripture, God speaks to you in the Holy Spirit and it brings you comfort and it brings you joy and it brings you peace and we welcome that when God gives it. But sometimes, when you bring yourself to the pages of God's all-sufficient, authoritative, inspired, infallible word, sometimes it cuts us deeply. And let God hear us say this morning that if that is His desire, we welcome it also. You're going to sense tension in the text this morning. I don't want to hide it from you. There's a tension between what you'll see, the door and the table. And I want to invite you into that tension this morning there between the door and the table. As we turn our attention to Matthew chapter 9, verses 9 through 13. Let's listen closely for the voice of God. Now I see four kind of scenes, if you will, in the text today, and the first of us, uh, first of those scenes is kind of given to us in verse 9, where we're going to see this truth, anyone can follow Jesus. Anyone can follow, isn't that so simple? Anyone can follow Jesus. Will you say those words out loud with me? Ready, set, go. Anyone can follow Jesus. Come on again. Ready, set, go. Anyone can follow Jesus. Look back at verse 9. Verse 9 says, And Jesus went on from there, and he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the toll booth, and he said to him, Follow me. And he got up and followed him. Now, Jesus had just healed a paralytic man in the city of Capernaum, and the scribes were infuriated with Jesus, not just because he healed someone, but because he claimed to be able to forgive them from sin. So the scribes were frustrated. They were appalled at Jesus, not because of the physical healing he gave this man, but because of the spiritual healing that he brought to this man. And so Matthew is sitting at the toll booth to, uh, to Capernaum, uh, presumably here in, in verse 9, as Jesus went on from there. That's from Capernaum. He's walking outside the city gates there in Capernaum, and he comes across the toll booth, and he sees a man named Matthew, who is the local tax collector. Matthew is probably a customs agent, a customs official for Herod Antipas, and he's collecting tolls on goods that were exported and imported there at Capernaum in the port on the Sea of Galilee, and nobody liked the local tax collector. Can you imagine? Nobody wanted Matthew's job. Matthew's job was right up there on the list with like telemarketer and like personal septic tank cleaner. Nobody wanted Matthew's job. 
And so he was despised because his job had brought him a social status that was making him kind of an outcast in the community. And Jesus got up from there and went out and he looked out and he said, hey, Matthew, follow me. See, Jesus is able to cut through all of the social baggage that Matthew had, that his job and his social status had labeled him with. Jesus is able to cut through all of that with a simple look because when Jesus looked at Matthew, what he saw was who he really was. He saw someone who was carefully and beautifully and uniquely designed, bearing the image of God, full of dignity and worthy of love. And so Jesus looked at him like no one else did. And he called Matthew to his side. And perhaps even today, those of us who follow Christ would do well, not just to look more like Jesus, but to look like Jesus more. I want you to notice how casually the Lord looks at Matthew and, and extends this very simple, it's a very simple invitation, isn't it? We read it so many times in the gospel, but it's lost on us. What does he say? He looks at Matthew and he says, follow me. It really is that simple. And then what did Matthew do? Well, he got up and he followed him. I was uh, on staff at a local church a number of years ago, different city, different part of Texas, and we had a, uh, like a, a local community swim party where we rented out the, uh, the neighborhood swimming pool. That was way before COVID. We rented out like the, the, the neighborhood swimming pool and we invited everybody. And there was this couple from our class, our, our small group that we had been working on who attended. And the man's name was Michael. And he was just recently released from prison. And his wife uh, also was wrapped up in all kinds of things that I, I won't say from here, from the pulpit. But they were desperately in need of what Jesus had to offer. I knew that and they didn't. And so I approached him in the pool, and I remember this conversation with him so very well. I said, Michael, and your name may not be Michael, but you may find yourself in the same position. I said, Michael, I just need to tell you this, that there is a God in heaven who created you in his image and after his likeness, and he has a plan and a purpose for your life that is so much bigger and so much better than anything you could ever dream up for yourself, Michael. This God loves you so much, but your problem is the same as my problem. God is holy and just and righteous and pure, and I am so far from that. Knowing this, and because he loves you so much, God wrapped himself in human flesh and stepped into human history through the womb of a human virgin in the person of Jesus Christ who lived that sinless, perfect life that you, Michael, and I could never live. And this Jesus died on the cross of Calvary to bear the full weight of the Father's wrath against your sin and my sin. He was buried in a borrowed tomb to take our sin where you and I could never fully take it on our own. And on the third day, he rose from the dead to seal victory over sin and death and hell for anyone everywhere, including you and me, who would turn from our sin and call on the name of Jesus. God, this is, this is how much God loves you, Michael. And I'll never forget what he said. He looked me in the eyes and he said, Tony, you don't know what I've done. And God could never love somebody like me. And Michael walked away from the pool that day rejecting what Matthew in simple faith, received. Can I just tell you, following Jesus is not complicated. The gospel message, the thing you need to know to be saved, it's not complicated. But it is urgent. 
It's us who tend to complicate the gospel message. Jesus, it, it's always simple. When you, when you look at it in the text of Scripture, following Jesus is always simple. So if you're listening to me today, you're gathered on campus or you're joining us online, you're so welcome here. I'm glad you're here to speak on behalf of the church. You're welcome here every week. Every time the doors are open, every time there's a live stream happening, I hope that you come and, and learn what it looks like to walk with Jesus shoulder to shoulder with real people, with real problems, just like you who are learning what it looks like to love Jesus more and follow him more closely. That's what we're doing here at First Irving. And you might be here and, and you've come to this moment and you're thinking, Tony, that sounds great, but I can't follow Jesus because fill in the blank. I can't follow Jesus because of my past. I can't follow Jesus because of the depth of shame and regret that I have. Tony, my job is not honorable. honorable. My social status is not great. I can't follow Jesus because, oh man, if you're bringing that mindset and Satan is whispering this into your ear right now, would you please hear the gentle, loving voice of the Savior of the world who has come near in this moment to you and hear him call you out by name and just say, follow me. Follow me. So here in episode one, verse nine, it kind of becomes apparent that Jesus is not looking, even today, he's not looking for those people who are the most respectable among us. He's not, he's not walking around looking for the people with the best jobs. And the guys and ladies who have it all together, that's not who Jesus is looking for. He's looking for anyone who in simple faith will follow him. And that leads us right into scene two in verse 10 where we're going to see that friends bring friends to Jesus. I know that's so cliche. You expected me to say something more profound than that this morning. I get it. Friends, bring friends to Jesus. Will you say it out loud with me? Ready, said, go. Friends, bring friends to Jesus. Look down at verse 10 with me. Verse 10 says, while he was reclining at the table in the house, many tax collectors and sinners came to eat with Jesus and his disciples. Now, in verse 9, we were at the toll booth. Outside the entrance to the city of Capernaum where Matthew sat. And now, I guess presumably a couple hours later, we're in a house. And Jesus is sitting at the table, reclining with them, comfortable with them. Who are they? Tax collectors and sinners. They are the people who later we'll see the Pharisees and the religious better than yous of the day had come to label Matthew's kind. Jesus is sitting at the table, reclining comfortably with Matthew's kind. Luke's account tells us that that this happens in Matthew's own home. So it's like Jesus came near to Matthew and said, follow me. And Matthew's like, okay, great. And he got up and he followed him. And along the way, he's, he's calling all of his tax collector and sinner friends, all of Matthew's kind. And, and he takes them to his house and he breaks out the chips and salsa and the tamales. And he's like, come. And he made space for his friends to come to Jesus. Are you making space for your friends to come to Jesus? Do you know that today there are about 29 and a half million people in Texas? That's a lot of people. The state of Louisiana, our neighboring state, has about 4.8 million people. There are almost 30 million people in Texas. That's a lot of people. And the best statistics we can gather would tell us that about 68% of those are lost and headed down a collision course for eternity and hell, separated from God, because they either, listen, have not heard the message of the gospel, or have not believed on the message of the gospel. That's it. 68% would put that number around 20 
million people in Texas. Irving, Texas is home to 240,000 of those 30 million Texas residents. 240,000. If the same statistics are true, 68%, that would be 160-something thousand people who are your friends, your neighbors, your classmates, your co-workers, who are lost without Jesus and will spend eternity in a Christless hell, not because God wants that for them, not because that's God's desire for their life, but simply because either no one has shared with them the gospel of Jesus Christ or they've chosen not to believe. You know, the state of Texas and the city of Irving are in desperate need of some Matthew kind of people who are going to follow Jesus and create space for their friends to follow Jesus too. And I'm convinced that if we're going to put a dent in the lostness of Texas and then the lostness of Irving, Texas, it's going to take two things. Number one, we already started it here this morning. I love this new fresh movement at first Irving of prayer. It is going to take God's people falling down before the throne of heaven and begging God to do what only he can do. It's going to take a prayer movement in our churches and in our homes. And secondly, it's going to take everyday church members just like you who become so passionate about this truth that they share Christ with their friends, their co-workers, their classmates, and in their social circles and make space for them to come to Jesus. Oh, but Tony, I'm not comfortable sharing the gospel with people. And I love Matthew's testimony here, his story, because he just shows us it's not complicated. Matthew's story is telling us that, that if you know enough of the gospel to be saved by it, then you know enough of the gospel to invite other people to be saved by it as well. It's not complicated, but it is urgent. And the whole point here in, in scene two is that Matthew went out of his way to make space for his friends to come to Jesus. Are you making space for your friends to come to Jesus. And then we get into scene three that shows us that not everyone in this story is a friend. Not everyone in your story is a friend. Scene three is going to show us that antagonists are always close by. That's right. Antagonists are always close by. Say those words with me out loud. Ready, set, go. Antagonists are always close by. Look at verses 11 and 12. Verse 11 says, when the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Now when Jesus heard this, he said, it's not those who are well who need a doctor, but those who are sick. I was sitting with a pastor one time, uh, just part of my role with the state convention is to encourage and equip and resource pastors and uh, sitting with one one time not too long ago who was really struggling in the church that God had called him to lead. And honestly, his problem was a person. I know people aren't our problems. I get that. But his problem was pretty much a person, a guy, a man who had uh, some relational gravity, I guess I could say, in the community and in the church. And he saw it as his Lot in life, this man, to make this pastor's life a living hell. And that's pretty much what he felt like. This man literally voted no. They were afflicted with monthly business meetings. This man literally voted no on every single motion that was brought before the church. What a gift. 
they could like make a motion that we purchase more toilet paper for the women's bathroom. And he would be like, no, not going to happen. Because he saw it as his job to make sure the pastor didn't get a big head because of all these unanimous votes that might come if somebody wasn't there to pull him back and just vote no. By the way, can I just invite you, if you are that guy or that lady at First Irving, come see me after the service and I will give you a list of other churches you can join. Right? You're welcome, pastor. But, I mean, he's an antagonist. I mean, the pastors, of course, Satan is the great antagonist, but he will work through anyone, anywhere, who is willing to succumb to his pressure and his influence. Antagonists are always close by. You know what I told that pastor? You would think somebody in my position has the gift of mercy. (laughs) I just said, hey, you're in great company. Because antagonists are always close by. Blessed are you when they say horrible things about you. When they persecute you for righteousness sake, for yours is the kingdom of heaven. Embrace it with joy from God. The Pharisees, who were kind of the religious elite of Jesus' day, they would rather stand at the door and question Jesus than come to the table and fellowship with him. And so while there's hubris at the door, there's healing at the table. You feel the tension there. It's not those who are well, Jesus says in verse 12, who need a doctor, the great physician. But those who are sick. Now don't confuse Jesus' words here. He's not commending the Pharisees. I mean, that's probably how they took it. Well, it's not those who are well who need a doctor. He's not commending the Pharisees. Make no mistake, they are not well. They just think they are, which is the worst kind of sickness. Isn't that so like us? I mean, probably not you, but me for sure. I have this tendency to think that it's always those kinds of people who need Jesus. It's always them. It's never us. It's always her. It's never me. We have this great shirt floating around the wonderful Lone Star State and all of our southern charm that says something like, y'all need Jesus, right? You may even have this shirt. That's great. Put me in the y'all. I know me. And I need Jesus. You see this whole irony here of this episode while there is a table full of people who are feasting on the riches of God's grace. There is a crowd gathered at the door who are starving themselves on the quacks of their own merit. They don't want what Jesus has to offer. I'm curious if you might find yourself at the table today or at the door. You know, the longer I walk with Jesus, the more I come to know myself. You know, I mean, like really know myself the more I realize how desperately sick I am apart from him. The more he reveals to me about my own intentions, my own motivations in my own life, the more I realize how deeply and desperately I am in need of what Jesus has to offer at the table. And it's in those moments when I would way rather stand at the door and diagnose someone else's problems. It's right there where I'm in the greatest need to sit at the table with Jesus and just be That's where we find the greatest irony here in this text, I really think. This whole episode 3 and verse 12, the scenario is is just tragic. It's tragic for all those who would put on an air of spiritual health 
while it's also healing for those who would embrace their spiritual sickness. God, I love this text. And so we lean on into the final scene here where we're confronted with what I think is a rather humiliating reminder in verse 13 that only the spiritually sick are welcome at Jesus' table. Only the spiritually sick are welcome at Jesus' table. Will you say that with me out loud? Ready, set, go. Only the spiritually sick are welcome at Jesus' table. Look at verse 13 again. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I didn't come to call righteous the righteous, but sinners. And as it always is with the study of and practice of biblical faith, it is the ones who thought they knew it all who stood with the greatest need to truly understand. Go and learn what this means. This is a rabbinical formula in Jesus' day. The rabbis, that's why they called him rabbi teacher. The rabbi would gather a group of students in a class, so to speak, and he would teach them things. And then if maybe one or two of them didn't grasp some core concept, he would say, go, go and learn what this means. It was said all the time. They knew exactly what it meant. What the rabbi meant by that was, until you get this core fundamental truth, you're not going to get anything else. Until you get this, what I'm talking about right here, until you grasp this and are ready and willing to live it in your life, I don't have anything else to teach you. So go and learn what this means. And they would go off and they would meditate on that truth until they could come back and join the rest of the group. Jesus said, I didn't come to call the righteous, but sinners. What kind of righteousness did the Pharisees have? Well, they possessed this outward form of righteousness. And they consider themselves distinguished by this, those religious better than use. They consider themselves wholly and completely unlike Matthew's kind. They had this outward form of righteousness. And so Jesus' quote here in his instructions, you're looking at it down in verse 13. This is a quote from Hosea chapter 6 in verse 6. Your Bible may have this uh, in bold. That just means it's a quote from the Old Testament. So Jesus preaches a one-sentence sermon from Hosea chapter 6 in verse 6. By the way, Hosea 6 is an amazing passage of Scripture that's full of hope and grace. And if you have time later, I invite you to go back and just read Hosea 6. It's amazing. But this one sentence, this one verse that Jesus pulls out of Hosea 6... It's God speaking through the prophet's mouth to the Israelites who are proverbially standing at the door. And they have this outward righteousness. God accused them through Hosea of an outward obedience. Are you with me? An outward obedience that was devoid of an inward devotion. So Jesus said, I desire mercy. Hesed in Hebrew. I desire loving kindness. I desire faithfulness. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. If your outward obedience is devoid of inward devotion, it will get you nowhere with God. Go and learn what this means. They had a shell of a religion, a thin layer of practical obedience that was covering up a cavernous abyss of powerless obstinance. Easter is coming. 
I know you're hesitant to believe that this year. Like if I had said that little three-word sentence, January 2020, y'all be like, duh. But now it's January 2021. You're like, I believe it when I see it. But it is. Easter is coming. And um, I grew up with four older brothers. So there were five of us boys, two parents, seven of us total. My dad was a pastor. My mom just kind of worked little jobs here and there. And we were broke as a joke. Like we... We didn't have any money at all. We were so broke when I was growing up. Like, we were so broke, we would go to the park, and the ducks would throw bread at us. That kind of broke. It was really bad. Embarrassing. But mom always had a way of making holidays special. So on Easter morning, we would wake up, and there would be these little, like, chocolates and candies and little small trinkets and gifts for us on the kitchen table with our names on. It was really special. It was a a great effort by my mom to make us feel special on Easter Sunday morning. I remember one Easter Sunday morning, I, I walked into the kitchen, and I don't know, I was probably four, five, six years old, and there they are, our gifts, and this year there was this massive chocolate bunny. Like that was the best place for an amen in the whole sermon right there. It was huge. Of course, it was probably like this big because I was this big, but it looked so big. And then I, I went up to it, and I grabbed it, and I held it in my hands, and I remember literally thinking, with this much chocolate, I could be the king of the world. <laughs> it's just amazing. And so I opened the box and I, I tore off the, the tin full and I put it up to my mouth and I bit off one of the ears and I spit it out in disgust. I was so offended. You know why? It was hollow. What a horrible trick to play on a little boy. It was absolutely hollow, a thin outer shell hiding this empty, shallow promise. And this is the plight of everyone, everywhere, down through the ages, who would come to God on the basis of his own merit. A thin outer shell hiding an empty, hollow promise. Will you notice with me this really difficult truth that the hollow bunnies at the door, the Pharisees, they were turned away by Jesus. Jesus said, go. And learn what this means. When we think of Christ's invitation to us. That's so beautifully displayed and revealed in the gospel of Jesus Christ. The word we often hear is come. And Jesus looks at the outer shell of righteousness. That's evident in the religious better than yous. And he says. They are not welcome at the table. You know, if you've never come to grips with your terminal illness, you will sense no urgency whatsoever to follow the doctor's prescription. And so our narrative in Matthew 9 ends this way today with Jesus welcoming the spiritually sick but turning away the spiritually proud. So you'd ask Tony, what do I do with this? Right? We believe we're believers in the Bible. We believe that this is not just something to know, this is something to do. Every time we bring ourselves to the pages of Scripture, we should ask this question, okay, God, now how do I do this? What is it you're calling me to walk in obedience? How should I obey this word today? Not just what should I know, but what should I do? Let me offer you two practical points of application here, and I'm done. Two points. The first is this. If you can hear my voice right now, 
you can follow Jesus. I know it's so simple, isn't it? If you can hear this message, or even if it's typed out somewhere for you to perceive, if you get this, if you're a recipient of what God is dishing out today at the table, you can follow Jesus. You can do it. The God of the ages created you. Wrap your head around this. I mean you. He created you in his image and after his likeness. He has a plan and a purpose for your life. But your sin separates you from God, just like my sin separated me from God. Knowing this, and because of his great love for you, just at the proper time, God didn't wait for you to get to him. Instead, in the person of Jesus Christ, God came down to you. And on the cross of Christ, he bridged the gap between your sinfulness and his holiness. He paid the price that you and I should have paid. He bore the shame that you and I deserve. Buried in the tomb, rose from the dead on the third day. And the Bible says... That if you'll confess with your mouth that this Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you, (laughs) you, you will be saved. Anyone, anyone, no matter your past, what baggage you bring with you to this moment, here in the room, joining us online, anyone can follow Jesus. Hear him come near today. Call out your name and say, follow me. That's number one. Now, the second thing that I have to tell you this morning may assault your religious eardrums, and I'm almost sorry for it. Here's the second point of application. You ready? Your churchiness does not impress Jesus. Your churchiness does not impress Jesus. Jesus, you're like, Tony, man, I've come to church for so many years. I've sat in the seats. I've sung the songs. I've given the money. I've served on the committee. I'm playing my part. All of these things like notches in your belt of righteousness, a thin outer shell covering up a hollow abyss of no promise whatsoever. Jesus is not impressed by your acts of righteousness. You know, the sad truth is there are some, maybe even here today, I don't know, I don't know you, so I can say this. Maybe here right now, maybe even members of the church for a long time, but you've stood at the door your whole life. And unless you make that little 15-foot trip from the door to the table, you will spend, you will spend eternity in a Christless hell. Not because God wants that for you, but simply because you were banking on your own religious expertise, your own religious merit to get you to the table. If that's your condition, Jesus does not say come. He says go. And until you learn what this means, I desire an inward devotion over an outward expression. Until you learn what this means, you cannot be welcomed at the table. And so I'm here this morning telling you this. If you can hear this, Christ has come near. I've been praying this whole week that he would give you faith to believe. Whatever whatever position you find yourself in, you're the guy or you're the lady who says, Tony, you don't know what I've done. God could never forgive me and God could never love me. Or you're the one who who is so good and so righteous and you've been standing at the door for decades maybe. I can tell you right now there is room for you at the table.
in Matthew's house. Oh, and our invitation is, join us at the table. By us, I mean Matthew's kind. Because that's who I am. I ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes. We'll come to a time of response. Maybe at home, I don't know if you're bowing your heads and closing your eyes, but can you just block out all the distractions for just a minute? If you're on the road, can you just pull over for a minute and just think through this with me? Do I know? Do I know that if I die today, I'll spend eternity with God in heaven? Do I know that? Has there been a moment in my life where I've gotten up from the toll booth and followed Jesus? Has there been a moment in my life where I made that little trip from the door to the table? Where I've recognized my own sinfulness before God and I fell at the feet of Jesus, embracing the fullness of grace and mercy and love of the one who's come to save. If you've never had that moment in your life, will you just pray to God right now? Let's let's just get it settled today. Say something like this. He's listening. God, I know that I've sinned against you. I don't deserve your forgiveness, your love. But for the first time in my life right now, I'm ready to say, I believe in this Jesus. He died for my sin. He rose from the dead. Save me, God, and show me what it looks like to live for you. All those words of a prayer are not some magical formula. Only in as much as they're reflective of the inward attitude of your heart. Will they have any benefit to you whatsoever? So you have opportunity this morning to respond in simple faith. If you come to Jesus at the table, you've embraced salvation by placing your faith completely and wholly in the God who loves you and the Jesus who died for you and was raised. In this moment, you can look up from where you are. Will you find the number that comes across the screen in-house or at home via live stream? Pull out your phone, text that number. I want you to text this. These words, tell me more. That's it. Tell me more. Somebody will get back with you soon. If you're in the house this morning after we sing our final song, the pastors of this staff will be ready to meet with you. Find one of them. Say those words. Tell me more. Lord, I pray that in this moment now as we respond, God, like only you could do, that you might give us faith to believe. Break through all of the thick layers of our pride that right now are keeping so many from making that little trip from the door to the table. God, there's tension in here. There always is. When your love and grace and truth assault our personal righteousness and goodness, Lord, I pray that there would not be one here in this place or joining us online to whom you would need say, go and learn what this means. And instead, that we would hear the simple, loving call of the sinless Savior who has come now here in this moment. Follow me. Lord, give us faith to believe. In Jesus' name, amen.